<laughs> it does look like a rebel base. Rebel base? Mistress Keir never told us she was part of the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> Welcome to In Trouble Again, the Star Wars Droids podcast. The episode, the episode, the episode we're going to talk about is Escape into Terror. But first, let us introduce ourselves. My name is William Thrasher, and with me is my counterpart, Matt Shergi. Hi. All right, so as mentioned at the top of the show in that wonderfully flubbed line, we are reviewing, recapping, recombobulating, and discombobulating every episode of Star Wars Droids, the sadly obscure Star Wars animated series from the early 1980s. So today's episode, picking up almost immediately where last week's episode left off, we have Escape into Terror, originally aired September 14th, 1985. Yeah, on this episode, you know, right off the bat, you can tell it has a, a bigger scope than the uh, than that pilot episode, The White Witch. You you have him actually going to space. You have some spaceship action going on, and, and you get it even uses you know like some of the like Tig shows up in this episode again. It builds on what happens in the last episode. I mean, as you mentioned, yeah, you could play this one back to back with that first episode, and you wouldn't be missing anything. Well, beyond um, that, this episode kind of has everything you want in Star Wars. It has dashing yeah. heroes, sinister villains, uh, daring space battles. It also has a doomsday weapon. It does have a doomsday weapon. It has um, uh, a bit of unexpected perversity, which we'll get into, and you have <laughs> asteroid fields and all these sort of things. Yeah, I think this one feels more like what you'd expect out of Star Wars, I think, than the first episode did and um, I cannot stress enough we've talked about this before but how unusual it is for cartoons of the 80s to have continuity like this yeah it was very rare and and looking back on it I think the only other show I can recall from this era uh, that had anything approaching this level of continuity was the mysterious cities of gold which in and of itself was a Japanese import and that told a serialized story Right. Um, I'm also thinking of, of things like, I don't know what, uh, The Adventures of David the Gnome, where it had a definite end, but even then it wasn't really things that built into each other. Yeah, um, before that end, it was all just, you know, disconnected episodes. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, here we have a start off with C-3PO and R2-D2 uh, doing a repair on the outside of um, the ship of our heroes. Oh yeah, Kia's uh, Kia's cruiser, uh, and so something, and I, I realize this is this is the influence of the prequels on me. But we have R two D and C three PO on the outer hull of the ship doing repairs, and C three PO makes a point to point out that he's tethered to the ship for safety reasons, uh, while R two isn't. I guess we can assume R two has magnetic feet. Um, but the whole this entire sequence, I kept waiting for R two to to sprout jetpacks and fly around. Yeah, that is a bit strange. But I mean, as as you mentioned, that sort of trying to bring something that happened that was made after the fact, even though it takes place chronologically before, which will always cause some sort of problems. Um, yeah, you get a lot of physical business with the C three PO. They're trying to repair the hyperdrive, and he starts floating away, and R two has to rescue him. Reels him in. This episode really takes advantage of R2 just being made out of gadgets. Right, because he can have whatever gadget he needs for the appropriate circumstance. And, um... 
but then, but but you know, they 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 get up to a, 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 some antics on the hull of the ship. Only it turns out that when C three PO floats away, the hyperdrive they were repairing floats away too. Uh, and when they get back into the ship and they and Kia discovers that her hyperdrive is missing, she decides that they're just going to go to the nearest planet, which happens to be uh, her home planet, Anu, to pick up a new hyperdrive unit. Which, this is the only thing in the episode that, I guess, flat out doesn't work for me. Um, is just that, well, like, the hyperdrive just floated away. Like, it's right over there. You could scoot your own ship over and intercept it. Yeah, maybe Although, it got damaged... Well, yeah, I I guess the implication we're supposed to take from it is that since it was a broken hyperdrive that floated away, that maybe they're just writing it off as a loss. They're just going to buy a new one. Exactly. Um, But yeah, it is awfully convenient that, oh, it happens to be the nearest planet is where Kia's mother lives. But there you go. You know, when when C-3PO is trying to repair the ship and, and goes inside the ship and all the magnetic stuff. He gets put in this very bizarre uh, position with his body. Oh, yeah, he, there, there's this, uh, they, there's a running gag in this episode where C-3PO has a trick servo disc in his back, uh, and when it goes out, he just lean, he just leans forward in this very exaggerated pose. And it's a pose we will get very familiar with as this episode continues. Yeah, it reminds me of a story from Anthony Daniels. They're asking him what he what it was his favorite bit of merchandise of C three PO related things. Of course, there's you know hundreds of merchandise with C three PO on it in some form, and he mentioned there is a um, C three PO toilet paper dispenser, where the toilet paper is coming out between C three PO's legs. That's a very very bizarre thing. It it is. It's not what you would, you know, Star Wars toothbrush. Fine. Uh, Soap, shaving cream, okay. But yeah, toilet paper roll is a dispenser does not make a whole lot of sense. Well, actually, there is a tape dispenser that does much the same thing. That might be the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, where he's just sort of like leaning yeah. back, holding his own knees, and there's <laughs> a spool of tape in his crotch. Yeah, perhaps it's oh, not. Yeah. I'll have to look it up to see if there was. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a Star Wars branded uh, toilet paper dispenser. Um, but, and that's neither here nor there, they go to the planet of Anu. So right away you're establishing they go on different planets for different episodes. You're not just stuck on the same planet every time, which is nice. And this is one of the few planets with a nice temperate climate. Uh, you're right, yeah, it's not extreme, it's not like the, the frozen tundra of Hoth, it's not like the forest moon of Endor. But then, uh, while they're going to Anu, we get, uh, we finally, so, uh, we finally get the introduction of Size from, who was a gangster that was mentioned a few times in the first episode. Uh, we cut to his base, and one, something that I've really noticed, uh, in this episode. So, Nelvana, during the time that this series was in production, Nelvana was being heavily influenced by the work of, uh, of French comic book artist uh, Moebius, also known as Jean Girard. Jean Girard being his actual name, Moebius being the pen name he used when he did science fiction comics. And all throughout this episode, there are locations and objects that have, for lack of a better term, a very Moebius-like texture. And it's it's very obvious when we get the establishing shot of Size From's uh, base. Uh, it's it's it is almost pornographic the level of texture that is on every surface. Well, and I like that size looks just like a really sort of huge version of Tig. You can tell they're related with the look of it. He's and, very uh, very old. He's in fact nine hundred years old. Yeah, very old. And they bring up a uh, a point, you know, of, of he basically isn't. Out, size outright says that um, Tig's uh, partner there is there to sort of make sure he's applying pressure to make sure that he does what he's supposed to. Oh, Vlix, yeah. Vlix, yeah. So. Well, we also learned, so, so we, it's established that Tig, he's really into to using machines and science and technology to get uh, the criminal enter- the work of the criminal enterprise done. There's this great, it's almost vaudevillian, this back and forth between Tig and his father's size, you know, where he he points out, and when those security droids turned me over to the authorities, oh, that was a, a programming error. 
And when you sent other droids to break me out of prison and they rescued the wrong prisoner? <laughs> He's like, there's always bugs that need to be worked out, Father. Uh, there's, there's also, there's a little, I don't know if you spotted this, but size from whenever, so all of whatever species uh, Tig and his family and, and the criminal organization are, they have these like, I, they look kind of like tympanic membranes, these like circles on their cheeks and on their necks. If you notice, every time size gets really, really flustered, his start to glow red. Mm, I didn't notice that. That's a good point. And it's just nice to see Tig being taken down a size. Because when he, uh, in in the other part, in the first episode, you know, he acts like he's really the one in charge and he has all these devious plans. But he sort of crumples when he speaks to his father. Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 as as we learn, as Qui-Gon Jinn uh, taught us, there's always a bigger fish. Uh, and now we're seeing that bigger fish. And meanwhile, you mentioned there is a uh, gigantic, uh, secret, powerful weapon. Uh, yeah, because so in the first episode, uh, they made a reference, uh, or T- uh, T- kept making a reference that what they were working on in the secret base was the development of Trigon 1, but they never defined what that was. And so part of me, for- forgetting that I had seen this and knew what was happening, I'm like, oh, I'll just assume that that's a fancy name for a drug compound or something. Uh, but no, the Trigon 1 is in fact a, we- an, a weapons platform that the uh, From gang is going to use to, I guess, presumably seize control of all the trade routes within that quadrant. Right, and so they uh, mention oh, they're as they're going around, they find a a secret. Oh no, no, no! Actually, oh, before no. we Wait. before we get oh, to yeah. that, there is I, I'm a big fan of like animation cheats. Like I love I love watching an animated show and seeing how they saved money, and the scene with size from uh, has I think one of one of the absolute best so when when it's first introduced we see this banquet hall with all this awesome alien food including what looks a lot like the roast beast from how the grinch stole christmas on it yes uh, and, right. and the camera the camera uh dollies in on tig from and the serving woman comes in and lays this big plate of food uh on the table uh and there's also like a little bit of a smoke layer just you know implying it's a seedy den of iniquity so that's how we're brought into this scene the way we're brought out of this scene is the camera dollies back from size from, and the same serving woman comes in and lays down the same plate of food, <laughs> and it's the exact same animation. They've just changed the ca- they've just done the camera move the opposite direction, but it's so smooth and so many things have happened between those th- that reused animation. I had to watch it twice to make sure I had seen the same thing. It's it's a really well-done cost-cutting measure. Well, I think, too, that it's done with a camera move makes it less noticeable. Had it just been, the, had it been like a, a static shot that they were just oh, repeating, yeah. you probably would have noticed it more. Yeah, because people don't expect that. But anyway, back, so back on Anu, uh, you know, the, the gang is uh, stuck uh, is, is stuck at uh, to registering at customs, uh, and we get uh, we get uh, uh, some droid prejudice because it turns out R two D two and C three PO have to wait in a separate registration line, which is not moving. Uh, but R two D two notices uh, notices some of the members of the From gang, so he fakes a malfunction to create enough chaos to cover everyone's escape. Uh, so they go to uh, they go to Kia's mother's place, which turns out to be a ranch. Uh, they raise sand sloths. For what reason, I'm not sure. I don't know if they're selling the hides or the meat. But while everyone's hanging around, they put R2-D2 and C-3PO in chore, chore duty cleaning the sand sloth pens. Uh, and after C-3PO fails to demonstrate his mastery of martial arts, they do. They discover a hidden door, and behind the hidden door is an armory. It's just loaded with weapons and armor. And this is where we get one of those lines that really kind of messes with the continuity, because uh, C-3PO says, You're right, R2, this does look like the Rebel base. Implying that they've been on... I guess they would have had to have been on the Rebel base. They're, they've been owned by several prominent rebels at various points in their lives. Yeah, maybe it implies... I guess it implies a history where they've been on rebel bases before. Maybe they've heard of a rebel base on the new. And, I mean, 
the way this show, at least as of to now, ignores the sort of big, you know, Skywalker saga continuity of the rebellion and the Imperials and all of that. You don't know what that means. If, if you had never seen Star Wars and there's that line about, oh, it is the rebel base, you wouldn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And we all, uh, and this is when things kind of play out. Where it turns out we finally we finally meet uh, Kia's mother, who I get. I love the character design. She with her that crazy white stripe of hair that she has that winds all around her. Do she looks like she stepped right out of the nineteen eighties West End game Star Wars RPG? Uh, but it turns out uh, Kia's Kia's family is involved uh, with the rebels. Only they're not specifically rebelling against the Empire. They're trying to they're trying to clamp down on the various criminal syndicates. And the whole reason why Kia uh, was on that planet in the first episode to begin with is she was looking for the Fromm Gang's base because they want to sabotage the Trigon One. Right, so we're developing um, more of the the plot there, and there is there is an attempted assassination. The Fromm gang does track them down and does send an assassin droid armed with poison gas, uh, who uh, who does get fought off by C three PO, and this is when something became very noticeable. Something that Star Wars has always been good at, but they're really really cranking up to eleven in this episode is asymmetrical character design. One of the things that that gives Star Wars its look, like if you look if you look at Star Wars, everything in Star Wars is very very symmetrical and very very streamlined. Uh, in Star Wars, things have a lot of sharp corners and and thing, things are in very iconic ways asymmetrical. Look at the Millennium Falcon; that is a lopsided starship. But if it wasn't lopsided, it wouldn't be nearly as cruel. And this episode is loaded with that. The entire main cast, excepting R2-D2 and C-3PO, all their character designs are asymmetrical, and you, it's really important to know the difference between the characters' left side and right side because they look completely different. Likewise, the assassin droid, he has all these little design flourishes that make him asymmetrical. Uh, there's some bully droids we see later on in the episode. Once again, it is not symmetrical design, and I absolutely love it. When you mention the symmetrical point, it reminds me of um, how I believe in the Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith DVD, they had a special feature about, you know, the big part of marketing as Darth Vader's back for this movie, um, which was true to a point, although he's in it, like, for, what, five minutes? And they make a... They said they went to the Star Wars prop, uh, you know, storage and took out the original Darth Vader mask and did a 3D scan of it, to put it in the computer, and they realized the Darth Vader mask in the um, original trilogy was asymmetrical. Yeah, it's, so, it's slightly lopsided. Yeah, and... slightly lopsided. <laughs> but then for episode three, in their infinite wisdom, they decided, well, we need to fix this and make it symmetrical. And because of that, it looks a bit off. Yeah, I mean, th- those those bits of asymmetry give so much character. I mean, I guess that, that's the thing that a lot of... That, that a lot of designers forget, all of the character comes from the flaw. Right. That's what makes it memorable. If it was the, the symmetry, you know, I mean, just look at people's faces. A human's face is not symmetrical. Well, if, if, if there's symmetry, it stops being characterful and just becomes an appliance. Right, yeah, exactly. Like a toaster or something. Um but Key and the boys, they decide that they're gonna they're gonna sneak on to uh, the Fromm Gang ship, and that's how they're gonna sneak back into the base from the first movie to sabotage the Trigon One. Uh, and we get we get some great character stuff because there, there's this bit where they're at the spaceport, and uh, Size Fromm is in his hover chair, uh, being wheel being I guess ho- hovered around, and. And Tig says, oh, Tig just says, oh, father. And and Size Fromm's response is, I wish it was otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> he has so much contempt for his son. But as they're going back to forth, is this the scene I'm thinking about where um, R2-D2 and C-3PO are in the background and they're trying to hide? Well, yeah, yeah, they're trying They're trying to hide. And, you know, even Fromm points, Size points out, we're looking for we're looking for a gang of five, two males, a female, and two droids. And he sees the two droids right in front of him, but because they're, they're not with two males and a female, he, does, he assumes it's not them. 
Well, I like that as they keep on going back and forth around this area where C-3PO and R2-D2 are, C-3PO and R2-D2 don't think of like, well, let's hide under nearby uh, cargo, let's maybe go in an alleyway, let's run away. Instead, they just stand still the entire time. Well, the, well, I mean, that's the thing, though, is that, like, they, they are appliances. Like, if you if yes. you were looking for a gang in a getaway car, and the getaway car was parked legally, and no one was in it, would you assume that was the getaway car? No, no, not unless you knew uh, a license plate or something. Yeah, I mean, right. Yeah. I feel like it's it not the whole package. Because within the context of Star Wars, the droids are appliances. You know, if if you had a droid, why would you just leave it lying around? Why wouldn't it be with you? <laughs> but yeah, they uh, but uh, Kia and the redheaded guy they uh, they sneak into these coffin shaped capsules uh, that the droids uh, sneak on the, the Fromm gang's vessel, uh, and this also sets up a running gag where so it's this one capsule with two compartments, and every time C three PO goes up to the compartment, he leans over the wrong side. He leans over Kia's side, but starts talking to the other guy. Right, and as we see when they get on the ship, they have tons of these sort of uh, coffin containers, and C-3PO has to make a note of, of which one they're in, and that's also a running gag. Yeah, they quickly lose track of it. We also get some... The, the, and this is also the scene with the bully droids, where this great asymmetrical droid like st- stomps up to C-3PO. He's like, I made a bet with my friend. He says, I can't dismantle you with one hand. I say I can. And he's he's going to beat the crap out of C-3PO, but then they get caught in a meteor storm, and it's a complete chaos. And something, something I love, uh, there is a droid we see piloting a spaceship... Uh, very early uh, that is in the uh, the intro to this show that has it's like this blue droid that has almost this cap baseball cap like visor built into its head that same droid is one of the droids working on the Fromm gang ship mm, right it's like it's it's sort of like yeah because like do you have a favorite background droid in Star Wars that shows up in all the movies Shows up in all the movies. Yeah, there's so well, few. Well, most I, sh- I should say most because like even even in Star Wars, there's a handful of droids that get reused extensively, and like I love picking them out of a background. And this show has much the same thing going on. That droid will show up again. Yeah, um, I don't know if I have a favorite out of those, but yeah, I, I do like back to this part of the show. The animation in the asteroid field I thought was pretty neat. It's pretty intense to see a lot of asteroids hitting the ship, and because of that, inside the ship, all the cargo gets knocked around, and 3PO loses track of which uh, container the heroes are in. Yeah, so when they are unloading at the base, he unloads the wrong crate, which is not discovered until uh, Vlix is threatening him, wondering where C-3PO's taking the cargo to, and this machinery slips from its mooring and falls, crushing the crate. And because C-3PO panics, he knocks Vlix out of the way of the falling piece of machinery. And Vlix is so thankful, he's like, you know what, do it, do whatever you want. He gives C-3PO special clearance to rush deliver whatever he wants to the Trigon. Yeah, and as he goes through the ship, he keeps on saying, oh, Vlix said it's okay. It's and that works. Robust. He gets a lot of it mileage does. out of that. He does, um, yeah. So a detail we forgot to mention, uh, when Kia is loaded into the capsule, she magnetizes this gadget and sticks it to C-3PO and just tells him not to shake shake it. Um, so as C-3PO is moving the capsule to the Trigon, uh, some of the, the Fromm gang's goons pop the thing off of C-3PO and start harassing him with it. Again, more anti-droid prejudice. Uh, and it's after he invokes the name of Vlix and gets the part back that he realizes that that's a thermal detonator that they were going to use to sabotage the Trigon. And because it was tossed around so much, it's activated and its counter is going down. Yeah, and I thought it was funny with the counter that it starts at 10 minutes, which to me seemed like a pretty long amount of time. Most of the time in a movie where a counter gets set off, it's like a one minute or 30 seconds or something. It's <laughs> well, like, oh, it, it, 10 minutes. Well, it gets to five minutes real fast. So. It does. It, it seems like an arbitrary number, but it's when I first said ten minutes, I'm like, oh, it's a, it's a leisurely ten minutes. They can <laughs> spend their time going to where they need to go. But and we do also we we now get our first scenes uh, shots of the Trigon One, which damned if it doesn't look like it came out of the original trilogy. It's this great looking, bizarre like spacecraft just bristling with weapons. 
Yeah, it's a pretty neat design. It, it looks like, you know, half a circle sticking out of a uh, shoe or something. With, with again, these asymmetrical weapons bristling out of it. And there's this just great back and forth uh, between uh, Tig and size And it's like... It's like, it's so small. But that's the beauty of it, Father. It has the destructive capability of a starship a thousand times its size. Since when is something so small so expensive? It's the way of the future, Father. All the components are miniaturized, (laughs) micro-sized. Micro-mini. Tiny individual components. You'll be tiny individual components if this scheme falls apart. Yeah, just the the constant back and forth between uh, Cease and Trig is is interesting, and it it makes you wonder where did Trig, Tig get his um, love of machines so much? If I his father I... is so against it, and if his if uh, Vlix is so against it. Well, you never know. I mean, you know, I ha- I have hobbies and interests that my parents don't have, and I'm that, sure they yeah. have hobbies and interests that their parents didn't have. That is true. Uh, you know, and, and it's just uh, although there is there is a part of me that is fascinated by the idea of like a droid based gang or criminal syndicate. Uh, the the next time I run a Star Wars LARP, that might very well be uh, the premise that I go with. So we get some more action towards the end of this episode as they take the thermal detonator yeah yeah they come out of the capsule uh they go to uh at first you think they're going to blow up the trigon but since they've been discovered and uh you know the gang's coming after them uh they decide they use the thermal detonator to blow a hole in the roof and they just fly the trigon out of there right and that's when the thrilling space battle ensues it's nice to, you know, you've heard so much about the Trigon 1 throughout the episode that you get to see it in action is, is pretty cool. Yes, yeah, uh, R2-D2 brings the weapon systems online. Uh, the Fromm gang sends these droid fighters after them, which make really good use of the TIE fighter sound effect. And are kind of reminiscent in their, in their of the TIE fighter and their design. Actually, it kind of reminds me of the Junker craft from, from again, from the West End Star Wars role-playing game, where it's a ship made from the parts of other ships. The cockpits are very much reminiscent of the Y-Wings, but it has, it has like, the TIE fighter engine and the, the TIE interceptor side paneling. It's a really neat design. But uh, there's some la- but there's some lasers fired. Uh, the battle droids end up broken, uh, and uh, we end on the gang. Uh, uh, Kia decided, you know, now that we we were supposed to destroy the Trigon One, but now that we have control of it, we could use this to take out all the gangs. And this is the one thing. Like I like I like Kia's uh, ambition. But I think Thal, I think it is, says, no, it's too powerful for any side to have. We still need to destroy it. It's like, you know, you're right. I'm not entirely sure he is right. Yeah, that could have been nice if there was some sort of an argument. It's a weird note to end the episode on. And, um, like, why not have it where she takes out a game and then realizes with collateral damage she's destroyed all this other thing, all these other things and changes her mind? I mean, that, that would be a very neat moral arc. Yeah, um, but instead that, you're right, that she gets talked away from her point of view so easily is, seems kind of cheap, it just seems like they're rushing towards the end to wrap up the episode, and, and once again, on a, as, as these cartoons of this era tend to end, it ends in a laugh, where C-3PO gets knocked around, and he gets put in that same compromising position from the beginning, where it looks like he's trying to lick his own asshole or something. Oh, God. But yeah, because his there. So, so Kia's mom has this line where she says, "You know, freedom is everybody's fight," and that's a line that C three PO keeps quoting to the point where even whenever he wants to do martial arts, he like really panics and screams, "Freedom is everybody's fight!" But yeah, he's doing that. He's trying to do his martial arts pose. His disc slips again. Uh, yeah, we just a little bit, a little bit of comedy. Not quite a freeze frame. Uh. No, but it ends with everyone you know laughing at him and. And we also do get a little bit before then where Size cuts Tig out of the family and is like, well, I'm going to have to go into hiding and then rebuild my criminal empire from the ground up. And I have the feeling this isn't the last we'll see of Tig. 
No, I, I uh, suspect not. This episode, in fact, you know, this seems to end at such a strange point. Well, I mean, it, it ends. It ends in the middle. We know there has yes. to be more to this story arc. But there's no, like, to be continued. I mean, that's the thing. There's very little hand-holding uh, in this series. No episode starts with a previously on droids. Mm, and no right. episode ends with a to be continued or a preview of what's to come. It just kind of, it trusts you and the audience to understand that Star Wars is serialized and sh- so is its animated series. And it's a show that you really have to... Uh pay attention when you're watching to, to keep track of the plot. It's not, as we mentioned before, it's not a bunch of standalone episodes and it's a lot of original characters. You know, it happens to be in the Star Wars universe, but it very well could have been in a different universe. Like, who, you know, it could have been, you could have had these stories with non-Star Wars things. Yeah, I mean, in this episode, the only real Star Wars indicators we have are R2-D2 and C-3PO and references to the Empire and the Rebels. And like thermal detonator, right? That's something. Oh yeah, thermal detonator. That is correct. Sure. I mean, yeah, that seems to be in the background, which I think helps makes this series uh, pretty unique. So there's something there. There are uh, two firsts that I want to bring up for this series. All right. Uh, One, it's the first showcase we get of that Star Wars writing. Especially. Oh, oh, yeah. Especially when they're in the starport, there's all these signs with these like symbols on them. That's pretty. From this point forward, that's pretty much how all writing is going to look in the Star Wars universe. If yep. you read any Star Wars comics, that's what the writing looks like. If you've seen any of the more recent Star Wars animation, that's what the writing looks like. There's like that chunky writing, and then that more line-based, angular writing. But that's it. That's that's the written lingua franca of Star Wars. No, in fact, in one of the uh, many revised versions of Star Wars: A New Hope. Um, they add a bunch of that writing into places where it wasn't before, where like machine readouts used to be in English, and they changed it so it's that new um, write. I don't know if it's a basic or whatever that language is called, but I, I believe it is referred to as basic. Yeah. And what's we, the second thing? Oh, well, the second thing is we in this series we get the first use of "I've got a bad feeling about this," which C-3PO uh, says when they're standing in the registration line. Yes. That's a line you see everywhere. Well, it's it's all over Star Wars, but it's so all over Star Wars that when you hear it not in Star Wars, it sounds really weird. Yeah, they um, it's used as a reference line in a lot of other. Excuse me. <laughs> in, in a lot of other um, program or video games and things, I, I remember. Oh, if you're PlayStation Two, they did the Lord of the Rings Two Towers game. And they have Gimli say, I've got a bad feeling about this, about like five times in the game. It's very <laughs> distracting and weird. But but does he sound like uh, John Rice davies I've got a bad feeling about this. Well, he's he's Gimli, so it's whatever. Yeah, so it's which is basically his voice. So yeah, it, it it's as you're going into, uh, I think, the mines of Moria, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, goblins and things start coming out of the walls. Oh, Mr. Frodo, I sure do have a bad feeling about this. Yeah, it, it, it's used to the point where it's annoying, and you're right. It's weird when it's not in Star Wars. Of all the lines in Star Wars to be used in something else, I guess it's one of the more normal-sounding ones. But it, um, it, it always takes me out of the moment when I hear it in a different non-Star Wars uh, project. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I like this episode more than The White Witch. I think it you have... The combination of the physical comedy in the beginning, you get the the asteroid stuff going on. You get a, a you know, you get to see the little action scene. You get to see what the Trigon one is. You get more developed, and it, it as it makes sense, um, that first episode had to do a lot of setup, introducing all these characters, and now it's the second episode. They can really kind of start cooking with gas here and start moving along. Very true. Oh, and this episode also did have one notable animation mistake. What's that? It's it's a it's a real blink and you're missing. But in the establishing shot of the Anu spaceport, uh, a B wing flies through the scene, but it's flying backwards and upside down. Odd. Okay. <laughs> and I I know it's hard to tell which part of the B wing is right side up, but trust me, it's upside down and backwards. It, yeah. 
maybe it was something where it played forward, they didn't like how it looked, so they just decided to reverse it. And think, oh, nobody will notice. <laughs> so, um, next we have uh, one of your segments, the... Oh, the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, droid eye for the Jedi? Yes. Yes, and I'm, I'm going to lay this right off the bat. Size from Secret Jedi Master. Short, green, mm. 900 yes. years old, parts ah. of him change color. I could see that. I could see maybe, you know, he has uh, such an ability in the Force that he can use it to affect his, uh, what his son does. To control his worst impulses. So, so your counter argument is just agreeing with me. Well, no, I, I don't know. I can see where you're coming from. He has he is a big gangster. He has a lot of power. For me, what what I think is the secret Jedi is uh, this droid whose design I really loved is is when they're in the line, getting processed, and it's a big purple droid floating around his face. Oh, the hover droid that cuts in line. The hover droid that cuts in line. And I think it uses its Jedi powers to cut further in line to make it so the other droids wouldn't be quite as upset. It's sort of a petty use of the Force, but I, I think uh, droids have the right to be petty every now and then. And I do wonder if a, if a droid's master is a Jedi, could they put um, you know kyber crystals and all sorts of things inside? Could they use Jedi components in a droid to make I... it have Force abilities? I will say, fr- frankly, frankly, I don't see why not. Mm. And I know in the old expanded universe, one of the uh, bounty hunter droids, I believe, was did have force powers. Uh, it was not four LOM; it was the other one, the I think the one that worked with Zuckus. Oh, IG eighty eight. No, let me hold on. Let me see if I can. Let me see if I can. Uh, Look up this droid. Oh no! Well, maybe that was four LOM. Yeah, I guess four. It is four LOM, is what I was thinking, or who I was thinking of. There's a podcast I used to listen to where they had, as a point of debate, if it was pronounced four LOM or four long, and they played commercials that said either pronunciation. <laughs> Which it it is one of those things that people wonder about because it's. The, the bounty hunter's name is never said in Empire Strikes Back. And, you know, it, it's the name probably is not in the credits. It's probably only premiered on the action figure box. So people don't quite know how to uh, pronounce it. <laughs> well, I mean, there's no reason why it can't be... Why it can't be uh, somewhat ambiguous, you know. Knowing knowing his personality type, I'm sure four LOM gets a kick out of that. Also, here's a here's a fun fact. Supposedly, uh, LOM stands for love of money. The more you know, kids, the more you because know. he changed he changed his own designation when his software got corrupted. Well, there you go. <laughs> can't argue with that. Um. Yeah, you know, thinking about the pronunciation, it reminds me of one of the more forced things I've read in a Star Wars novel. Oh. Uh, there were Shadows of the Empire, um, which was a big sort of thing where they had a book and a video game and a soundtrack to a movie that never existed. It was kind of strange. Uh, and comic books, and they all told different parts of the same main story. And in the novel, uh, you have a villain who's, who's a, a green humanoid with a, a big ponytail, uh, and and the, the alien's name is uh, X-I-Z-O-R. So how do you pronounce that, Thrasher? Okay, I would say Zizor, but isn't it Shizor? It is Shizor. And in fact, the book makes it explicit because in the very first scene, it's Shizor's droid pronouncing Shizor's name phonetically. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really a strange way to start a book and very unnatural. <laughs> But I'm sure they figured, well, people are going to wonder how this is pronounced. I'm just going to lay it out on the table. You know, there there was, uh, so I, many years ago at, uh, at Dungeon Con, I attended a panel discussion uh, that included Phil Bricado and a handful of other people who used to write for uh, uh, White Wolf, uh, White Wolf Game Studio back mm. in the 90s. 
And one of the things that he, he talked about is like, okay, if you're going to use a lot of obscure or made-up words, please, for the love of God, just put an unambiguous pronunciation guide in your book. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I could, I could, uh, I could definitely use more of that. Sometimes you just need to either write it phonetically because it is fantasy. You can just make it phonetic. Uh, you don't have to act like it's weirdly anglicized. Uh. Right, or there's a sci-fi trope of oh, we're going to take three consonants and mash them together at the end of a character's name. <laughs> with with lots of apostrophes. Yeah, apostrophes, umlauts. Uh, yeah. Sure, we'll make the character's name end in CKX. Why not? Let the reader do the work. No, no, no. You see, it's it's written, Mr. Luxury Yacht, but it's pronounced Throat Wobbler Mangrove. And now we come to the uh, final segment on our show. <laughs> oh, yes, the segment where we look at a non-movie-related piece of Star Wars media. Uh, so, uh, Matt, what did you seek out? Yeah, so the last week I looked at the um, first Rebel Assault video game. This week I decided to continue on those lines and look at Rebel Assault 2, the second one, um, which is a lot easier and a lot more playable. And, and this one was notable because they, uh, as was kind of the trend in the mid-90s, filmed a live-action uh, video cutscenes with actors, and they even I think they even got David Prowse in the suit for a few scenes, maybe. Um, for Darth Vader, and it's an original story about um, the Empire develops a kind of TIE fighter. I, I forget the name, but it has cloaking capabilities. Was it the TIE Phantom? Uh, something like that, yeah. And Oh, it's been so long, but yeah. Um, and, and this one, in the first game, the whole time you're doing levels in a spaceship. In the second one, they mix things up. You have some levels where uh, you're on the ground shooting things, which doesn't really work very well, because it's on rails, you, your character kind of automatically takes cover, and you push a button to get out of cover and shoot the guy, and you push a button to get back in cover. It's pretty stiff. Um, and in the first one, you could choose to be a man or a woman. In this one, you're just a man. Uh, it has... It's just so strange. Like There's um, a cheat you can put in, and it has sort of a mystery science theater mode on top of all the cutscenes, <laughs> where there's kind of a text commentary on everything. Um, and they even do cutouts like in mystery science theater. It's a weird sort of mode to put in this game. Uh, you, uh, the opening shot of a character talking to Darth, to Darth Vader just focuses on their shoes. It's very strange. You just see boots coming into frame and dialogue, and you hear dialogue. It, it it's a better game. It's more playable than the first one. I remember when I got it for Christmas, uh, one level was a bit too difficult, so I turned it down to easy mode and then proceeded to beat the game within like two days of getting it as a gift, which mm -hmm. made my parents pretty upset. Did you ever try to play through it again on a higher difficulty? I did, and I got stuck at the same spot. It, um, specifically, it was an episode where you, you steal this phantom tie uh, with the um, cloaking device, and you have to do, uh, much like the training missions in the first game, it, it's, it's, again, difficult to tell where your ship is in relation to all the uh, areas around you, to all the uh, landscape around you, so you don't crash into it. But yeah, I think Rebel Assault 2 is a lot more playable than the first one. Um, the, the story is not great, but it's... Um, the, man, the, the acting on the full motion video is really something. It's It, it makes you glad they didn't do a whole lot of... Uh, it, it, you know, like had they done a Star Wars TV series, it probably would have looked and sounded something like the cutscenes in Rebel Assault 2 which is not a great thing. It just seems just really cheesy and broad, and um, that it had original full motion video that was Star Wars filmed for the game was a big deal at the time. And I don't think that's really been done since, so it's still a big deal, I guess. Hmm. Now, what about you, Thrasher? What's a... So I uh, went back. Uh, I went. I went back into my uh, comic collection. So I reread the the original uh, Dark Horse Comics Boba Fett trilogy, 
which hmm. was it was not as I understand it, it was not intended to be a trilogy. It started. It was just a Boba Fett one shot called Boba Fett uh, Bounty on Barcuda, uh, but it sold so well they did two follow ups. I actually technically they did three follow ups, but the third follow up is narratively is not connected to the other the other one. So the Bounty on Barcuda and the two follow ups all tell more or less a single narrative that's connected by Boba Fett, the people who hire him and the people he kills. And uh, anyway, the whole thing, it's uh, its written by John Wagner. Uh, it was also, uh, the art was done by Cam Kennedy. And this was really fun. It was, it, it was. I mean, I remember reading it when it came out in the 90s. Uh, I believe the first issue, let me see, the first issue, Bounty on Barracuda, that came out uh, December 5th, 1995. And then uh, that was followed up with uh, Boba Fett when the Fat Lady Swings, which came out in uh, September 18th, 1996. That's quite some time later. Uh, and then finally uh, wrapped up with Boba Fett Murder Most Foul, which came out August 13th, 1997. So there's there's like 10-ish months, I think, between each, each installment. Uh but it was really, really good. The writing was sharp. The art's amazing. Cam Kennedy's uh, art, it, it's its stylized in such a way that the vehicles look great. The aliens look like simultaneously like aliens and people in suits, uh, which I think is very cool if you're doing something based on Star Wars. Uh, he also makes a lot of use out of very, very wide panels. Uh, mm. So as a result, a lot of the images do maintain the same cinematic scope as Star Wars in general, uh, and and the story and the story is pretty fun. It all begins. There's a hut named Gorga the Hut who falls in love with his female hut, and but it's a forbidden romance because his clan and her clan are at war. So he needs to bring peace. So he hires Boba Fett to kill a space pirate that's been harassing the other clan uh, to get on their good side. And, and he does. And it's pretty gruesome. The pirate's name is Barcuda, uh, who's like this weird, like, shark whale guy. And, and in the end, he's killed, and then he's cooked into a meal, which is served to all the Hutt families. It's fair, it's, so the imagery is surprisingly gruesome for a Star Wars story. So the second one is when the fat lady swings, and the, the titular fat lady is the female Hutt who marries, uh, marries Gorga. Uh, her name is uh, Anakra. And short version on that is that uh, they're they're getting uh, they've just been married and she gets kidnapped and so Boba Fett is hired to rescue her from the kidnappers uh, and then uh, while this is going on it turns out Barcuda had an older brother another space pirate named Raikuda who uh, if you know Raikuda is an American songwriter and uh, film composer uh, so the name is just an in joke uh, but he goes out to get revenge on Boba Fett for killing his younger brother uh, and he supposedly dies when a building collapses on him. And then finally, in Murder Most Foul, uh, the hut, the huts get pregnant and they're going to have a baby. So there's <coughs> lots of fun little gags about hut anatomy and how their reproductive cycle works. Uh, however, uh, uh, because uh, Gorga the hut wants to inherit his father-in-law's fortune, he hires Boba Fett to kill his father-in-law but after Boba Fett's sent out, he then discovers his wife is pregnant. Uh, and he's like, oh, crap. I can't kill, I can't kill the kid's grandfather. And he try, and he, but he can't call Boba Fett back because he's maintaining radio silence on the mission. Uh, Boba Fett, however, uh, brought, gets, tricks the father-in-law into paying him to protect him from an assassin. Uh, there's a whole bunch of, uh, but then Raikuda shows up kills the father-in-law uh, Anakra assumes her husband did it, there's a falling out and it's, it's, all, it's really a farce it is a farce involving huts and it is hilarious, uh, but in the, in the end, uh, Boba Fett kills Raikuda by dunking him in a, in, in a vat of toxic acid, again, very gruesome imagery, the baby hut is born peace is achieved through all the hut families, and Boba Fett walks away several credits richer uh, it, it is an immensely fun comic trilogy, I love the weird the weird, like, lesser known seedy underbellies of the Star Wars universe it pokes into, the only thing that does not work is that Boba Fett has way too much dialogue. Uh, if you go, if you go through like the original trilogy, 
the longest single line Boba Fett has is six and a half words long. Hmm. Like, he's not a character that, like, and it, and it goes beyond, like, fidelity to the original trilogy. He's just not that interesting giving a speech. Like, I think he's much more effective when he's sort of a silent gunman type. So that's the that's the only thing that holds this trilogy back. There's too much Boba Fett dialogue uh, to get through. I feel like if, if you're going to have him talk at all, he needs to be very, very clipped, very to the point, very, very much just business. So is this after Return of the Jedi? When does it take place? Uh, this, I believe this series uh, is supposed to take place before Return of the Jedi. Okay, so there's no... Oh, wait, no, well, okay, so I just checked. According to the official chronology, it takes place ten years after the Battle of Yavin. However, there is absolutely nothing in the story that grounds it in a particular period of time. I don't believe that, I don't believe they even reference the Empire, the Alliance, or the Republic. It's kind of nice that it's it's not related so much to the movies and that it's so hut-focused and about a hut baby. I mean, that's something that would have been... Uh, you know, unusual for the time. Years later, of course, in the animated Clone Wars movie, there's a plot involving, I think, Jabba's nephew or something called Stinky the Hut. Oh, yeah, well, that's the, that's the plot of the Clone Wars movie is they have to protect uh, yeah. the Hut infant. Right. Um, yeah, well, at, oh, at yeah that's time, when we're introduced was... to Zero the Hut. Oh, Zero the Hut, yeah. But at the time, you know, this story in the comic with the involving around huts and hut babies and everything would have been pretty unique i think and uh yeah i mean and and fun fun fact at least as established in this comic i'm sure it's been retconned since then uh huts do have uh male and female genders uh and they give birth like kangaroos they give birth to a tiny little worm thing that then crawls up and nests in a pouch in the mother's chin in the chin you said well that that's where they impl- they imply that it's somewhere under her mouth, but above what passes for her torso. It's like referred to, I think, as like the natal sack or something like that. Well, pretty cool. So, um, next week we'll be talking about the third episode of Star Wars Droids. Ah, yes, the Trigon Unleashed. Will it be unleashed like the Force? Who knows? We'll find out next week. Will the Trigon uh, survive the episode? (laughs) <laughs> we'll have to see. It's a doomsday weapon. You know it has to blow up shortly after it's introduced. One would think, but maybe it'll survive until the last episode of the story arc. Who knows? We'll have to see. <laughs> Very true. Uh, so, for uh, In Trouble Again, a Star Wars droids podcast. Oh, and I guess we should mention our theme song is performed by Cybertronic Spree. It's an awesome cover they do of the droids theme song. Yes, definitely. So, uh, for In Trouble Again, a Star Wars droids podcast, uh, I am William Thrasher, and this is my counterpart. Matt Bradley Shergeef. And we are saying, I've got a bad feeling about this. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> <laughs>